The Real Investment Show. Michael Leibowitz joining me as well. Got a lot of stuff to get into, but we're getting requests for Mrs. Roberts stories this morning. So the uh, the latest drama, you know, I, I keep I keep threatening that I'm going to do like a whole TikTok series eventually just on the crap that goes on around my house mm-hmm. because it's always something. Yeah. So, you know, my wife's getting ready now to this weekend is ACL. Now, now if you're in Austin listening to our show, you know what you know what this is. Of course, this is Austin City Limits. It's a big music festival that happens every year. And so for the last several years, my wife's been taking our kids to to go see ACL because they like to go see the music and they stand out there and sweat for you know two days. It's not my thing, right? <laughs> you know, standing outside, it's not, you know, just to watch music. Uh, it's not my thing. Anyway, so so the the interesting story, of course, is is that all my kids are now eighteen, and they're all trying to figure out now how to smuggle alcohol in, <laughs> into ACL. <laughs> so I'm like, no, we're not doing this. We don't do that. You're eighteen. You've got to wait three more years. But a whole other dimension in parenting. I know, I know right? <laughs> it is. It is. Is so, so. My wife's like, you know, she's she's like, well, you know. They're to their point where it's like, she goes, you know, so she's talking about this. She's like, yeah, you know, I don't know why I'm doing this. I said, she goes, I, I know I'm going to go up there and then they're just going to leave me. <laughs> so I'm going to be sitting there by myself for two days watching bands I really don't care about. So is she bringing bail money? Probably. No, we have a very simple rule in our house and I've, I've, we've raised our kids ever since they were small to know about this. Yeah. Is that if you ever get in trouble, because we've told you what not to do. Don't drink and drive. Don't do drugs. Don't steal. Don't be mean. Those type of things. So that's it. If you ever wind up in jail, you're going to stay there. You're da- spending the night. Da- <laughs> you're spending however long it is <laughs> yeah, because yeah. dad ain't coming to get you. So that's, you know, I'm not, I don't have to punish you. You're going to punish yourself, but I'm not coming to bail you out of jail. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just be on your own. So they're, they're pretty smart. They know that they don't they don't do those things they're good kids so but they know that dad ain't gonna show <laughs> yeah. up to bail them out they're, mom may want to dad ain't showing up to bail you out i don't care if you're in there for six months <laughs> you can virtual learn these days i'll just bring a laptop down to the jail cell for you so <laughs> anyway michael good morning welcome to the show good morning yeah what'd you walk Let into this they'd be scared <laughs> See, see, Mike's lucky. His kids are even older than mine. He's got one in college, a couple out of college. So, you know, he's already past this phase of life. A little bit younger than that, but yeah. <laughs> oh, so they're about to boomerang. Yeah, exactly. They're coming back. <laughs> so uh, speaking of coming back, uh, let's talk a little bit about the economy. Atlanta Fed uh, just came out. We've got this chart uh, posted up in our daily market commentary this morning, which is on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Um, interesting kind of dichotomy going here between the kind of the mainstream blue chip economists, which are never right, and the Atlanta Fed saying that economic growth is going to be approaching 1% at the current pace that we're going in. This, uh, this is a far cry different than what people were saying at the beginning of this year. We're supposed to have this boomer economic growth all year. This is going to be a massive recovery. Um, not really kind of turning out that way. No, I think what, what, you know, what caught everyone off guard you know, ourselves included early on when COVID started was the massive amount of fiscal stimulus Mm -hmm. that they did, right? It created a recovery that happened both quicker and uh, larger than we had thought, than almost anyone had thought. No one thought they would print, they would 
print, but they did print, uh, that they would spend $4 trillion in a year, right? We were coming off the, the, the financial crisis where it was like, what, $1.8 trillion? And, and in the years between the financial crisis and now, they were spending less than a trillion a year. So there was an extra three-plus trillion boosting the economy. And this money was not infrastructure. It was not projects. This money was directly, in some cases, directly given to citizens, right? So we had this massive boom and spending and everything. But as soon as the fiscal stimulus kind of worked its way out of the system, as soon as we spent the money, as soon as corporations spent their money, and and to be honest, things normalized, we're back to where we were, Mm -hmm. right? Growth the Fed's estimate of growth in the long run is only 1.9%. And that's probably even being a little bit generous. But we we can kind of agree with that. If you look at things like demographics mm-hmm. and productivity, it's pretty much baked in a cake. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to be 1.9 every year. There are going to be fours and there's going to be minus twos in there. But it's going to average out over the long run. And as quickly as that stimulus came, it's leaving. And that's what they call the fiscal cliff. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're hitting now. And it's not a cliff. It's just reality. Right. It, they should call it fiscal reality. <laughs> this is what happens when, you know, we've been pumped up on cocaine for the last year and a half. The cocaine's wearing off. Right. Now we're back to our normal selves. Right. And this is why, you know, there's kind of this, such a big desperate push by kind of the, the Democrats right now to get more spending in this, what they're trying to build as social infrastructure. And I, I think, or human infrastructure, I think it's, you know, it's a great way to spin it, right, is that you're trying to do this very socialistic type program, but let's call it human infrastructure and let's just give money to people. Um, it's a, it's a, it, it's an interesting concept, right, that, you know, we're, we're trying to move to this environment where we're going to take money from one group of people to give it to another group of people and expect that that will create economic growth somehow. Um, and there's no evidence of that ever existing anywhere in history that that works. Right. But Lance, here's the even the flaw in what you just said. They're not taking it from one group to give to another group. They're not going to they are going to raise taxes a little bit. Mm -hmm. They are so far beyond (laughs) taking money from using taxes. They're taking free money from basically the Federal Reserve to give to some people. Now, that's going to result in inflation that those some people that are getting the money will pay. So they're taking it from the poor to give it to the poor. Maybe in reverse order, but that's really what's going to happen. Well, and right? that, but that's already happening, right? I mean, look, we've of got course. inflationary pressures that are rising here, and again, uh, you know, higher. And, and again, you know, let's just go back to basic economics, which is also the whole fly in the ointment to this whole thing. Is great. Let's pass human infrastructure and let's give everybody in the country an extra thousand dollars a month. That's great for one year. People will be lifted out of poverty, so to speak, by having an extra $12,000 for the year. Unfortunately, though, inflation will rise over the course of that period. And the next year, people are getting the same amount of money, but inflation has risen. So their cost of living has come up to absorb that increase. And because you're not increasing that amount of money the next year, your economic growth is zero. Right, right. And they're training people to expect stuff from the government, Mm -hmm. to pay their bills, to do things. It takes away the incentive to work, the incentive to to get an education. And because of that, you also hurt productivity. Mm -hmm. Why should I go to work? I can sit here and play video games all day. Right. That that's some of what creeps into society. I'm going to get the check. I know I'm getting a check. And that's why we see so many job openings right now, because 
you know, you can you can live like that to some degree. Right, but don't you think that eventually people catch on to this? That you know, they may vote for it right now because they think it's great. Hey, I'm going to vote for this and get free money. But don't you think they eventually catch on to the idea that it's not working for them and maybe they think about doing something different? Yes, I do. But I don't think it's as direct as you make it sound. I think it'll be like this system isn't working. I don't know what it is. I can't. I like the checks. They're great. But there's something else not working. And I think we had hints of that during Trump's presidency. Mm -hmm. And I thought we'd honestly, I thought we'd see more social strife, more, more rioting, more, mm -hmm. more protests, peaceful protests, more of the whole nine yards over the last couple of years. But they've they have not been occurring. But I think I think what will occur over time are those protests and those riots and and everything else coming back. And again, they may not understand why. Right. It's really economics. Right. Um but but I think that's what's on the horizon and whether it's the political landscape that sets it off, a recession that sets it off or who knows what else. Yeah, I think that's what we well, have to look forward to, because this doesn't work. Well, right. And, and it's been proven. Right. But this is this is all throughout history. Right. I mean, what we're talking about here and what you're suggesting is saying, look, you know, people are rioting because. They're, they're writing for some cause, right? They, there's some headline, maybe, you know, social cause that they're, they're going out to riot for. But when people are generally happy and they're paying bills and, you know, incomes are good and their family's happy and they're happy and things are good, they're not out in the street, you know, rioting and protesting and doing these type of things. They're, they're generally happy. And so, you know, yeah, there may be some overt cause that they're out rioting because out for but the reality is the reason they're out there doing it is because they're generally unhappy in the other aspects of their life and so it's like that's the reason i've got to go out and riot you know i've got to go do this i've got to protest but it's because of this wealth inequality and look we we even the fed is now talking about the wealth inequality which i think is hysterical because they're the ones that caused it right. <laughs> and now they're saying well wealth inequality is a problem okay well if you want to fix wealth inequality stop manipulating the markets and right. allow allow free markets to operate and stop bailing out companies that should be out of business like your major banks and you know we'll get back to wealth equality at that point because capitalism will start to work again Right. And you see it on display now with this whole debt cap thing. They keep mentioning stocks. Right. If if, if we don't sign it and if we default, stocks will fall. Who cares about stocks? Right. Just just worry about what you what about the government. <laughs> let let free markets take care of themselves. Right. It, it has become stocks is what everything is all about. Stocks, stocks, stocks. Well, who owns the stocks? The, right. The, it's right. not the 90 percent. It's about 10 percent. Right. Right. Well, so, but, it, it, but, you know, again, you're, you know, Nancy Pelosi herself is worth 140 million bucks and she's done a whole lot of stock trading while she's been in office. So, she's been in government her whole life. So it's not a bad gig. It's not a bad gig. What are we and, doing? And now, we, and now we've got the Fed vice chair Clarita now caught up in the whole, you know, trading scandal for the Fed. He was actually buying stocks the day before. Jerome Powell made the announcement of more liquidity. So, I mean, yeah, of course it's all about stocks for them. Unfortunately, for the rest of the country, they're just trying to put food on the table. That's an entirely different matter. Anyway, we'll you come know back. You're getting me riled up. I know. We'll come back after the break. <laughs> um, look, we will talk a little bit about this debt ceiling adjustment that's being made and why it's affecting the markets and what to expect out of the markets coming up from here. So, again, be right back with Michael Leibowitz right after the break. Don't go away.
So, you know, speaking of ACL, Austin City Limits, uh, that's coming up this weekend. Coming up next weekend is our live event in Austin. Danny Ratliff, Richard Rosso, CFP, coming to Austin to talk about tax law changes that are coming up and everything you need to know about your right lane retirement. Uh, that's our most popular class that we do. We do it and uh, have been doing it for quite a while now. Very popular. Covers everything you need to know about retirement from you know how to invest to how to maximize income, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, all those type of things. Great opportunity to ask a lot of questions about your personal needs. That's coming up October the 16th at the Dominion in Austin. You go by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, click on the banner, or click on the events tab, either one, and get registered. It's absolutely free. Just uh, show up, and we're happy to give you a whole lot of good information. And I think they're going to feed you, too. So, hey, you know, free food. Maybe I'll come. <laughs> so uh, I'll go bail your kids out this weekend, and I'll just stay for the week. Yeah, there you go. I ain't bailing nobody out. That's there. That's on them. You know, right now we're trying to get, you know, all the kids or, you know, their, their senior year of school. And I, I don't understand when this happened. Right. They go to school like half a day on Friday because they're seniors. You know, it used to be we had to go all day. Right. So, you know, at noon, 1230, they're out. And so my daughter's gotten she's she's going she's going to try to go to Texas Tech. So she wants to be a Red Raider. Um, and then my son's applying to MIT and Rice. So he's going through that process right now but they're they take longer to do acceptances and so my daughter's like i don't really need to go to school i've already been accepted to college I'm like, get out of bed and go to school <laughs> i mean it's wait just, till huh wait till second semester oh, you said senioritis hasn't even started i'm telling you it is it is getting it is getting going already it's terrible uh anyway so, so here in D.C. the or in the in the Maryland D.C. area, the tradition is after you graduate, you go for a week to beach with your friends. Right. So when I graduated thirty, what thirty five years ago, whatever it was, there were eight <laughs> of I graduated us. graduated was years ago. <laughs> there were eight of us in a little bungalow, crappy bungalow that was falling down. Right. Right. Now, as you can imagine, they're going down to North Carolina to these massive houses on the beach, maybe 10 of them. Right. Everyone gets their own bedroom. It's, yeah, it, it's these it, kids are beyond spoiled. Oh, no, I tell you, you know, they're doing Airbnb. It's <laughs> the funny thing. I had to laugh the other day. My son came and asked me, he's like, hey, dad, for my senior trip, all my friends are going down to, to the beach and I need like $1,400. That's my share of the Airbnb. I'm like, well, you better get to work because <laughs> he's like, dad, wow, it's, my, it's my senior trip. I'm like, that's on you, man. I don't pay right. for that stuff. That's all on you. That's yeah. even pricier than here. Wow. Oh, I'm telling you, it's well, it's you know they've rented this massive, you know, like twenty thousand square foot house, and they've got like ten ten friends going. I'm like, like it's the same thing. It's, it's like you, but know, you know what you know what the difference is. I never asked my parents. Like we we rented this crappy right. little bungalow, and it was probably at the time fifty bucks for the week. <laughs> yeah. I never asked them. You know, I don't know how we actually got it and all that stuff, but right. I never asked them. They I never don't. expected me to ask them. I know it, it's it's interesting though. You know, it's uh, you know when I look at my kids and and the way I grew up and the way you grew up and the way my kids you know act like they're growing up and <laughs> you know they come in the, and they're like all my fr well all my and I and unfortunately I kind of live in an area where there's a lot of affluency in the area I live in, and so. 
you know, all his friends, you know, their parents are buying them brand new cars and all this stuff. And I'm like, you want a car? Go pay for it yourself. I don't do that. That's not my job. My job is to feed you, provide you a house, and make sure that you're alive. That's my job. And make sure you go to school. Um, that's my job. And it ends when you turn 18. And his birthday's coming up in November. So I'm about uh, to have another one off the payroll. So, you know, it, this is just, you know, they have responsibility. They've got to pay for their own cars. They have to pay for their own insurance. And they, they, they don't like it, right? I mean, they're, they get upset with me because all their uh, friends' parents are paying for everything. I'm like, you may not like it now, but you're going to appreciate it later when you get out in life because they're learning how to pay bills and, and be responsible and do these type of things. And yeah, it's, it sucks being an adult. (laughs) But Lance, Lance, I'm going to take this back to the government a little bit, Yeah. but isn't this what we were saying a little bit earlier that when when you are given stuff, you lose your incentive to work. Right. It's a very similar analogy, right? So when the government gives us everything, you know, look at Russia, that's kind of the extreme back under communist, you know, complete communist rule Mm -hmm. that, there was no incentive to work. You got paid exactly what your neighbor got paid and depend and it didn't really matter how hard you worked. And with that, everyone works to the lesser to the lowest common denominator, right? And it's the same thing the way we treat our kids, the way that or most people treat their kids, not you Lance, but right. most people treat their kids and the way the government treats us. Right. They're taking away the incentive to be the next, you know, to be the next well, big innovator, to, to even just be a high level executive, to to be the best waiter at a restaurant and get the most tips. The, you know, the whole gambit of potential is if well, we all get paid the same thing, why right, bother? But, but this is the, but this is the fallacy of what's being told to us by the government right now. Right. What the government keeps promoting is with this idea of human infrastructure and all this is about equality. We want to have equality in the country. And that's not what we want because you're absolutely correct. You take a look at any socialist environment, communistic environment, et cetera. They do have equality. The problem is is the equality is at the lowest end of the scale because the only way you can make everybody equal is that you have to make everybody equal at the lowest common denominator. What we want is equality of opportunity. And we want to have everybody have the same chance to have the same opportunity. And if they can earn it and support it and keep it, then they deserve that opportunity. And and this is the, the part that we kind of forget about is that if we want to elevate people, we need to give people an incentive to rise above their current position in life. And so we give them an equality of opportunity. As just as you said, Mike, if you want to be the best teacher, the best nurse, the best doctor, the best surgeon, whatever it is, you should have that opportunity to do that, regardless of race, creed, religion, whatever it is. You've got to go out there and and work for it, though. You've got to go get the education for it. You've got to put the time in to do it. And if you can and can achieve your goals, that's great because that's what capitalism does. It gives you that equality of opportunity. But we're destroying that by trying to create equality, period. And that's not right. what you want. That's not what leads to better outcomes. Right, right. You, you know, again, this all goes back to productivity. What can we do to make our population more productive? Mm-hmm. Work on the schools, education, training. You know, not every we've talked about this. Not everyone has to go to a four year college. Work on you know, plumbing school, electrical school, all those trade schools right. that, you know, the, Focus, how can you make someone the most productive, the most incentivized that they can be? 
not how can you hand them checks so that they don't well, care whether they work or not. Right, or this, this, and th that's a great point. I mean, this is one of the mistakes that they're making right now. You know, the Biden administration, they want to provide free junior college, two years of junior college to individuals. Right. So you go out of high school. You can go to junior college for two years and get some degree, right, for an associate's degree after two years of, of college. That's great, but most of these degrees are primarily useless in the real world. If we really wanted to give people a hand up, which is what the whole goal of this is, is give everybody the opportunity for free trade school. So when you come out of high school, you can go to college if you want. That's great. Or you can go to trade school and learn for two years how to be a welder, plumber, electrician, whatever it is. And those are good paying, high paying jobs that are in demand always. Right? Nobody right. knows how to fix their plumbing anymore. Being a plumber will always provide a job. And we would actually be giving people equality of opportunity at that point by teaching them a trade that they could go out and apply and immediately get work. And look, some of the richest people I know are people that own plumbing companies, electrical companies, <laughs> construction companies. You know. right. Yeah, I mean, they make a lot of money. And and that's the mistake though. You know, we 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 have the right idea. Like let's let's give people a hand up. That's great. But we're not really giving them a hand up. Handouts don't work. We give people handouts that keeps people oppressed in their position in life. We need to give them a hand up instead. Right. And yeah, if if we want to use some government money to pay for trade schools, awesome. I, I could get behind that because we're teaching people to go support themselves. We're teaching people how to fish rather than giving them fish. Right, right. And we're not being completely insensitive. Look, I, I think Lance and I both understand that what happened in March of 2020, there was a need to help people out. That's very different than where we sit today. The economy is fully back. There's jobs aplenty. The, those, those kind of special one-time helping handouts, mm -hmm. that's fine. We're not saying that government should never help because there is a role for government. It's just not a permanent role. It's not a, a role where they are the employer, essentially, where you don't have to work, but they're the employer and they pay you. So there's a fine line. But if the government would just, every bill they put out, they say, okay, what does this do for productivity? And sometimes, look, it, it may not. The government has to do things that the private sector won't do. And, and that's understandable, like defense, right? There are other things too, infrastructure, right. true infrastructure, filling potholes and stuff like that. But on anything that deals with uh, more of the human activities, how productive is this? If we, if we fund this program, will the people that are under that program's umbrella be more likely to go get jobs? Will they be more likely to work? Will they be more likely to start new businesses? Exactly. Quick break. We're going to come back. Uh, we, we, we deviated from the topic. Uh, we'll come back after break. We'll talk about the debt ceiling lift that will take us into December. Um, why that might be a mistake for Democrats, actually, but what it means for the markets near term. We'll get to that with Michael Leibowitz right after the break. Don't go away. Again, not real surprising here, as we've been talking about all week is this volatility of the market really surrounded this whole conversation about, oh my gosh, if we don't raise the debt ceiling, we're going to default on our debt. And I've been saying all week, A, first of all, that's not going to happen. B, we've raised the debt ceiling 78 times. 79th won't be a surprise. And yesterday, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell came out and suggested raising the debt ceiling 
through December. Now, Democrats are running around right now saying, ah, they won, the, the Republicans blinked. Not so sure about that because it's one thing to raise the debt ceiling to $29 trillion, but now you've got to come back in December and try to raise it to $31, $32, trillion to try to pass all your other stuff you want to pass. That may not play off that well as they think, you know, particularly in December, because starting in January is where all the midterm kind of pre-run starts for getting reelected next November. So there's going to be some real challenges here, I think, for the Democrats they are not planning on. Yes, it's a short-term victory. But again, the hyperbole around the whole debt ceiling, uh, Bernie Sanders out yesterday, if we don't raise the debt ceiling, the economy is going to be in a depression. No, it's not, because it would be a technical default, just like we saw back in 1979. Everybody knows they're going to get paid as soon as we raise the debt ceiling. None of the things that the Democrats are running around saying would happen if we defaulted on our debt is actually true. That includes the Treasury Secretary, who is Biden's puppet anyway. <laughs> you know, she's just kind of going along with the narrative. None of it's true. It's all meant to just scare you into thinking it's the problem, but it does weigh on markets. And now with this behind us, we're going to see some follow through today on the markets. Mike, your thoughts? Well, just go back over the last 15 years, every time this has come up. And again, it does, you know, like you said in the opening monologue, it doesn't matter which party. The words are exactly the same. Whoever's under the gun, whoever has the power, right. says the same exact stuff. And they all get resolved the same exact way. It's just... It's literally a joke. And, you know, why they even have debt cap limits is beyond me if they mean nothing. But that's a different story. <laughs> because they're but, supposed to mean something. It's supposed to be a limit to your spending. You're supposed to go, well, we can't raise any more debt right now. Maybe we need to cut some spending. But to your point, we stopped doing any type of fiscal responsibility back in 1979. So, right. yeah, just remove it. If you're not going to pay any attention to it, just remove it and well, let's you, just deal it, with it. You know, it. if you're not going to pass budgets. Yeah. Exactly. Right. I mean, that that's probably a great first place to start, <laughs> but that's a different story. While we were, uh, <laughs> that's a different story. Yeah, it's a problem. I, I, real quick, can I just read this quote? I thought it was so appropriate for what we were talking about a little bit earlier. Sure. Go ahead. Dr. Lacey Hunt, who I believe is in the Houston area. He's in Austin. Right? He is in, in Austin, Austin, actually. So he's going to be at ACL, too. Yes, he will so, be at ACL. And he <laughs> might show up at our at our right lane retirement workshop on the 16th. So we'll see. I'm okay, joking. Great. So here's what he had to say. And I think this is so appropriate for what we were talking about. The government is not the key. Making the economy into a giant post office is not the solution for sustained prosperity. Right. And he's right. Right. That's exactly right. He's we the government is not very efficient. They don't they, they don't promote incentive. They don't promote productivity. It's like the post office. They, they, you know, we need the post office. It serves a need that no one else seems to be willing to do. But we can't turn our whole economy into a post office. Mm -hmm. We know how that works. It's called Russia. It's called plenty of other failed nations that became post offices, right. essentially. Well, I, you know, I, I want to correct you on one thing is, is that there are other people that would do a post office. Right. If we said, look, we're going to get rid of the post office and we're going to privatize it. That's right. 
you know, there would be other competition that would come in and serve the post office service. The problem is, and the reason that nobody will do it, is because nobody can run the post office as cheap as it's run now. In other words, if you want to mail a stamp, it's, you know, 30 cents or whatever. But the post office runs billions of dollars in debt every year. It's subsidized, it, essentially. Exactly. And a, and a private company wouldn't. So if we wanted to privatize the post office and make it profitable, that we could do that certainly, but you'd be paying a dollar to mail a letter, you know, whatever it is, and and but right. this is the problem with government is that we subsidize failing businesses, and we don't want to allow capitalism to work, and if we would, we could fix a whole lot of these other problems just by the fact of letting capitalism do its job of and or, and, and look, it's a it's a Darwinistic process. Companies will fail. They will go out of business, but that will open up opportunities for innovation and for opportunity for other people to start businesses and create prosperity down the road. Let me give you another example. I was reading last night that they're considering opening up the strategic reserves for oil and selling oil. Right. Because oil is now quote unquote too expensive. <laughs> well now let's put ourselves in, in a uh in the shoes of a uh, West Texan oil guy, mm -hmm. right? What do you do? Should I open up more wells if I think the government's going to come in every time the price of oil gets too high? Like, that's scary to me. Like, if I produce oil at 70 bucks a barrel and oil gets to 75 and the government comes rushing in to drop the price, you know, that expense mm -hmm. of putting up another well and hiring the people and whatever else is involved... It's like, you know what, I, I'm, I can't afford to take that risk because the government is in control of the price of oil. Right. If they would let the price of oil go and maybe it would go to 100 bucks a barrel, 120 a barrel, and it would hurt, the supply would be coming out of the, be coming from everywhere. You couldn't control the supply and we'd be back down to 30 bucks a barrel. Right, and which is <laughs> happened. The market, which is the market <laughs> will do it itself. There's at 100 bucks a barrel, all the incentive is there. Right. And, and it, look, right. it's happened repeatedly throughout history. We have these booms and busts in the oil exactly for that same reason. You know, we get too much supply, too little demand, whatever it is, and things revert. But that's the capitalistic process. It's not fun, um, but and it's certainly not politically tenable. But, you know, this is, you know, this is the and, way capitalism works. But now, you, let, now let's get to the markets here before we run out of time. We've got about five minutes. Yeah. So the debt ceiling here passed. Futures are up this morning. We talked about that. Um, got back above the 100-day moving average yesterday. So that gives us some upside lift here to at least the 50-day moving average potentially over the next couple of days. But, you know, I think personally we've seen the highs for the year. Now, we've got a couple months left of the year. But, you know, it's, you know, I think we probably put in the highs for this year. We've got a lot of headwinds coming up. I don't think, you know, there's going to be a lot of issues with earnings coming up in terms of corporate profit margins as well because of inflationary pressure, supply chain disruption, CEO confidence, CFO confidence is also starting to drop pretty markedly because the outlook is starting to weaken economically as well. Your thoughts? I, I agree with you. I, I think the headwinds are too many. doesn't mean we're going to drop like a rock, but I think, you know, between this 50-day and 100-day moving average may be the range now for the next three or four months, mm -hmm. right? Now, that said, if, the, if Joe Manchin and, and some of the moderate Democrats all decide they want to push through massive stimulus, Maybe there's more upside, you yeah. know, if the government's willing to spend more money. If the Fed says we're not going to taper for no reason at all, not because <laughs> the economy's or jobs or something. Just, just, just because. They, right. So there are there are exogenous factors, again, government factors, not not free market factors. But there are factors that could cause new highs. 
And, and conversely, there's a, a lot of risk and, and valuations are extreme even by 1999 measures, mm -hmm. right? They are extreme. So there's a lot of downside too. So I think the comfortable place for the market is between kind of running the rails between the 50 and 100, maybe popping above it at times, popping below it like we've seen in the last few days. But we're probably in for a little more volatility. And by volatility, we just mean exactly what we've seen, a roller coaster, up 30 one day, down 40, up 50, down 40, you know, just this up down where, you know, you kind of look back on the week and you say, well, we were flat that week. <laughs> But every day was gut-wrenching, right? Yeah. It, it's kind of funny when we, you know, we, we're in our morning meetings and we're looking at returns for the last week and, you know, we were up uh, a quarter of a percent or down a quarter of a percent. Really? Yeah. That felt like that was a completely, I'm getting ready to throw up on a roller coaster ride. It turns out we could have just been on a flat Disney ride. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, and again, this is kind of the, you know, the, the, the big issue as well for investors. It was interesting earlier this year, you know, really from January through August, investors really could do no wrong. And, and it was like, hey, no matter what I put into the market, I just buy anything. It just goes up in value. And, you know, sentiment was extremely bullish. You know, people were chasing all kinds of stocks. And it's kind of amazing in just one, really one month, it went from everything I do goes right to everything I do goes wrong. Sentiment is now extremely bearish. And, you know, and, and it just took a 5% decline. We're still up 16% for the year. Markets right. are down a little bit less than 5% from the year as of yesterday. And, and you would think by talking to people and by looking at bearish sentiment indicators that we had just gone through another March 2020 crash. Right. Do yourself a favor. Pull out a 5 or 10-year graph mm -hmm. and yeah. try to figure out what happened over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, you're not going to be able to. You know, you, you put on your glasses and you'll see it a little bit. It's very normal. Like what even what we've seen over the last week with these one plus percent mm -hmm. up, down, up, down, up, down. There's nothing unusual about it. I know it's a little more than what we saw in the prior few weeks or prior few months, but it is very normal. And right. it's look, the market is entering a period where it's unsure of what's going to happen. The Fed is starting to taper. The fiscal cliff is upon us. Political inflation, issues. Inflation is definitely here. Inflation is a big concern. Yeah. So, all right, so, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, we got to wrap yep. up the show for today. Michael Lee, which joins us, by the way, he's got his new article out uh, on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, bonds, buy them, hold them, fold them. That's the question, you know. And, and again, you know, one of the issues uh, longer term is what are bonds going to remain a good investment? It's a great article to read to kind of get a perspective on what he thinks about bonds and and how they fit into your portfolio. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Got our daily market commentary as well. It's out now for the day. Of course, if you subscribe to our daily market commentary, it gets delivered to your email inbox precisely at 7:30 every single morning during the week. So go by the website. Lots of there. Make sure you register for our event next Saturday, October the 16th in Austin Domain. It's the Right Lane Retirement Workshop. All on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.